The subject for the evening talk is peacemaking. <coughs> In this talk with you this evening, I would like to try to link up the work, the practice that we are engaged in here and its relationship to life in its totality. If we give consideration to the outer realities of life, we become aware to varying degrees of the necessity of the urgency to make peace. And the threats to peace show and express itself in countless forms, in countless situations. And generally speaking, when we, when we give consideration to the area of peace, particularly outer peace, we perhaps give care and attention to the major issue, the major issues of the, what we might describe as the ongoing confrontation between Russia and the US, between the Warsaw Pact and NATO, and all the implications of that. And when we look at that situation rather simply, we see that there's psychological factors which have to be considered, which are influencing and affecting the perceptions and the judgments of the people actively involved. There are similarities and there are dissimilarities. There is aggression, and there is fear. There is the syndrome of attacking verbally and defending. There is protectionism and there is aggression. And within all of that too, there is the common mental structure too of competitiveness. The competitiveness which endeavours to be again and again in the superior position. So this ongoing situation which has gone on now from one generation to the next is a situation which brings a polarization between people, between groups of people, between the kinds of forms of identification that they have, that we have. And in that a gap is established. And in that gap between such people, there comes about a massive amount of investment, interpretation, and especially mistrust. So this situation seems to proceed, it's proceed and, and go on. And in the continuity of that, even when gestures are made towards peacemaking, towards actually bridging the gap, the degree, the psychological factor of mistrust is so prevalent that it can't be interpreted as a move towards peacemaking. And so 
as the headline in the Newsweek magazine this week of the latest offer describes it as a peace ploy. So within the people with the s in the sphere of influence and then its reflection, whether it's Newsweek or Time magazine or Pravda and Izvestia, basically it's the same. It's the same kind of reflection which seems to take place in which there isn't the groundwork for establishing trust. And because of the lack of that groundwork which is there, the gap is sustained and all the competitiveness, attack-defense syndrome is born in and through that gap. Within, the sit within that situation, and because of the deep rift and the polarization which takes place within that situation, it seems to me that there's a tremendous amount to be learnt from that. To be learnt from what that situation is, what actually is occurring there in that gap and distance. And if we can stand back from our own nationalism and all that's implied in national, nationalism and look at that situa situation perhaps we ourselves can come in our relationship to life and in our relationship to peacemaking, which is obviously the most worthwhile of human activities, we may be able to approach life and our relationship to it differently. Let us take an example. Each time you and I engage in an aggressive or patronizing or condescending attitude towards the powers to be, and even though you and I may feel the pain of the earth, and how this conflict is being reinforced again and again. Even though you and I may feel well justified in extending blame here or there, within that movement of our own heart and mind, what we in fact do is we reinforce the situation. We maintain the divide. We may, we may attain we may sustain sorry, the divide by attacking them, Russians, or attacking one's own government, but it keeps uh, that situation hardened, fixed. And so one of the ongoing questions in the peace movement, and I would like to bring this all back to our meditation practice, one of the ongoing questions in the peace movement is, who is the enemy? So that perhaps in our relation, relationship to the major outer issues, we can perhaps explore ways and means of approaching it differently. 
it has to come from a place inside of us which is reasonably clear, compassionate, caring. It has to come from a place inside of us which is non-violent. It has to come from a place with, with inside of us which is a contribution in some way or other towards peacemaking. And so various ways and means and thoughtful ways and means are being taken to express one's concern not by hammering and attacking and abusing the people with the power, with the privilege, but rather finding ways and means to express and voice one's protest about the totality. And in coming from a more caring relationship to areas of life where we see conflict and express our concern, there's the possibility, small but possi possibility, to register some trust, some feeling factor. Let me give you an example of this. I had heard some months ago from a friend of mine that um, two people had the uh, two people in the peace movement had the opportunity to meet with one of the senior people in the uh, army w w who has a controlling influence over the military hardware over armaments, and an appointment was established was made. And they had, before going to see this person, some dis discussion about what they were actually going to say to this person who's, who has control of life uh, and death over countless number of people, directly or indirectly. What were they going to actually approach this person with? What were they going to say to this person? And of course, some of the immediate reactiveness which can come out of that kind of meeting can be a confrontational one. A confrontational one in, you know, is in terms of you know, what, what do you think you're doing? And that kind of pressure. And what one finds is we find in our daily life, in our relationship with others and our relationship with ourselves, that, we, that in attacking we, as I quoted that proverb the other night, when we attack others, we defeat ourselves. So they had a meeting, and it was a short meeting. And the question which they put to this person was, they simply asked this person with as much care and awareness as possible, how does it feel to have so much responsibility for so many lives? And they place this, put this non-threatening, but right to the point. And in, within that, there came about a response 
you know, of, yes, I have this responsibility. And it produced a fl an interflow of exchange which got past the head and all the narrowness of it and was much more, much more at a heart level. And it's those kind of situations in life where we have to find in communication and in peacemaking and all that is implied in that, ways and means which communicate and direct, some, and direct our attention in such a way that it's not born of attack and defense syndrome. It's born of communication, of expressing our concern, of bringing notice to people about what the reality is. Just as we experience this attack and defend syndrome and all that is implied in that, very, in very much the same kind of way in our daily life situation, we find too there's a situation where there's a person and there's a difference. There's a philosophical difference, there's a belief difference, there's an ideology difference. And we set the divide. And in setting the divide, we find ourselves obliged to defend our position, attack or criticize or undermine the other's position. And that somehow or other gives us a sense of our righteousness. We do it in our work situations. We do it easily in our personal relationships. And we find ourselves getting stuck in that pattern. And so sometimes the situation becomes intolerable and there's a storm which blows up within that situation. We can face that on the global level and we can face it on the personal level. So it needs in our awareness and in the working for peace the exploration and the inquiry and the looking at how we can find other ways of living and being and acting which isn't one which keeps polarizing, which keeps reinforcing the enemy. I remember, I think it was, was it last year that the Olympic Games were? I never. And, when, and they were on during the time that, it was in the summer, it was in the August. I can't remember when it was now. Anyway, but anyway, there was a telly at this television over at um, what the house across the streets, um, rather usefully referred to as Hats. 
and two friends were living there and time to time we'd pop in and you know, um, have, have a look how the, the races, the running was going. And one of the rather startling, I felt, rather sad things to be seeing was the degree of emotional fervor that was occurring here in, in the States. And one of the ways that it would show itself was every time that, 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 that the flag went up that pole, you know, the, the stars and stripes, it went up a heck of a lot as well. <laughs> every time that flag went up and, and the uh, national anthem was played, people by the thousands were crying. <laughs> such a phenomenon. You know, and that is part you know, of this fervor and this idealism and nationalism and all the jingoism that comes out of the press with regard to it. And it's that kind of identification and intensity which is very dangerous for world peace. That is frightening. Because it brings about this collective reinforcement of ego and identity. And because of the emotional factor coming out, in this case, out of sport, and such a charge taking place within that, it creates the us and the them syndrome. And sport, unfortunately, like a wide um, number of other activities, because of the emotional factor which is so strong, becomes more destructive than constructive. So in our, in our looking at the, this area and seeing how very much as, as human beings we consolidate this identification through a, a wide number of situations in life. And, th and in that identification, perhaps we stop, in a real sense, being people of the earth, living on the earth together, and we become people who live in America. And that artificial divide, people who live in England, people who live in Russia, and in that divide, in that encirclement that we create, we create the potential for the violence that persists. When we bring the situation to our personal situation, our, 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 our daily life situ situation, that exploration and inquiry is to see how we set up the gap. And in setting up the gap, it may mean that if one is exploring fresh ways to express one's concern, to make a contribution towards 
peacemaking. It may mean that others or another feels threatened by that, feels reactive, feels more protective, more, um, more defensive. But being aware and clear inside of oneself about as much as possible about one's own motives, that one isn't coming from a place of attacking and putting down, but an exploration and a contribution towards peacemaking. So that this important and most precious of perhaps of all psychological conditions, the, the one of trust, is actually being established. Just as there are the outer situations too in life, there are also the personal situations. And it's the same thing going on again. The same way in which when we're faced with a situation, whether it's the internal dialogue as we've been discussing here together, there's always within that, those movements the prejudice. There is some prejudice. And the prejudice is the pattern in some way or other, of taking sides. And being free from prejudice is not taking sides. But we have, of course, a vested interest. We have a vested interest in ourselves, in our self-affirmation, a vested interest in maintaining the status quo. All of that puts the prejudice our way. And the area of detachment, not alienation, but a genuine detachment, that means there's always love with that detachment, is such that we don't find ourselves polarizing, taking sides. We try to look holistically, totally at the situation, to see the dynamic between what's happening with ourselves, what's happening with others. And so in the sometimes, as, as, as is used in the, in the traditions of uh, contemporary of, uh, of therapy, sometimes where the one senses a polarization taking place, maybe you today, with regard to a retreat, I'm sorry, in this retreat, with regard to somebody that you know, and that person keeps coming up in your mind, and you're feeling antagonistic or angry or distant from that person. And so sometimes it, it can be useful is just to feel what's it like for that person? What's their position? What's their take on the situation? Trying to connect with where they are at. Then perhaps the idea of who is the enemy begins to take on some meaning for oneself. And when we begin, begin to sense where somebody is coming from, even though we may be in complete disagreement spiritually and ethically, 
it helps to give a sense of finding the total, the total relationship, a holistic way of viewing, of acting. Making and finding, finding these connections, I feel, is part of an ongoing work in any kind of peacemaking. Because frequently, one of the reactions that we have when faced with difficulty in life, when faced with confrontation with life, is that we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to deal with that which is difficult. And we'll use all manner of escape routes to save that direct meeting. And the number of times in our life where one feels, one knows, one, one has to say something. That one, to keep one's integrity, to be true to oneself, to express what one is seeing and observing, one has to take an action but one can't. One is held up by it. The fear holds one up. The withdrawal patterns hold one up. The defensiveness, the fear of the future, the uncertainty. And so, sometimes by our own passivity, it enables a situation, an intolerable situation, an unacceptable life situation to continue. by our apathy, by our indifference, by our unwillingness to work with, we sustain intolerable situations as much as the people that we are judging. And this is a hard one for us. It's a hard lesson for us. It's a hard lesson to accept that passivity and tim timidity, fearfulness, withdrawal, all of those similar symptoms keep the world the way that it is. One sees this, I say, socially and politically. Those of you who are familiar with the uh, uh, organization Amnesty, and one just, I feel personally in awe of people in this world, of men and women in this world, all over this world, who see injustice and a tremendous personal risk to themselves, to their families, their, their life, their, their, their life, the continuity of their, their life. See and speak. See and write. See and communicate. See and voice. 
see and act. And it's those voices, those men and women who make that protest, who've looked at the reality, see what's happening, and voice their concern, are the people who hopefully would be an inspiration for us. That we can do it. It may be politically, it may be socially, it certainly has to be personally, in one's personal relationships. In this working for, for, for peacemaking, the very flow and rhythm of the meditation practice and the, applica- and the application of it, I would say, is really directly related to the outer situation. That, as it were, our, our body and our mind can be an extraordinary valuable principle to work on to gain some insight and understanding of what the situation is like outside of ourselves. That it all belongs in a very integral way to the process of life. (coughs) So when one is directing the attention to the body, there's a body awareness. And as many of you have spoken and have said, sitting and pain arises. The pain is there, there is the experiencer there, and one experiences very directly that pain. In the experience of that pain, that which is coming to you is threatening. It can produce all sorts of responses. Anger, fear, avoidance, the difficulty of facing the difficulty of actually being with this phenomena. The lack of inquiry. How can I work with this experience? And our meditation practice is such that endeavouring to say, life is these realities. This is what life is all about. It's not offering certainly here, not offering a utopian existence. It's not offering a nirvana. It's not offering some special state which is going to save you and I in the future from, from all suffering. That isn't being offered. And it's a brave person who offers that to human beings. What is being said, what is being stated is that within the the flow of life, there are life realities and our practice is connecting with them. Connecting with them fully and wholeheartedly in such a way that one doesn't have anything anywhere else to go and look for anymore. That all the utopian idealism and the romanticizing of the mind of something special, that one is liberated from all of those daydreams. 
so that there is a, a direct connection. Not a connection which says in our practice, oh, there is only the here and now and there is nothing else. And just to reduce practice, to reduce inquiry and discovery to that. That is the most trivial reaction to, to understanding. But in our, in our connection, it includes our facing and our working with and our exploration and our going into and seeing that this is a miniature of this relationship to a, a pain in the knee is a miniature of a global situation. It belongs to the, the, total, the total picture. Within that, act, within that activity and within the, <laughs> the facing of and working with reality and all the countless expressions and forms that it may take. And as I mentioned, whether it's our brothers and sisters on this earth who are, who are expressing their concern at enormous risk and the numbers of people who are languishing in in prison under torture because of express and direct expression of what they see. To people who are working and struggling within ordinary everyday life situations. That bringing of one's heart and mind to the willingness to bear on something. To actually focus directly on something. If there is a willingness to do that out of the heart will come joy. When, 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 when you have a, a sense for what that, what that means, joy must come in spite of what is manifesting, what is occurring in this world. So, we, so we, sometimes that shows itself within the context of the meditation. One engages in the meditation of course, we experience much difficulty. It's an enormous challenge to take upon working with the totality of the whole living organism. To actually do that in this period of time uninterruptedly is an unusual and rather rare, extraordinary thing to do. And one struggles with one's, with one's existence. We are struggling with the reality of what we are like, of who we are. We're having to face up to things which we've, we've put in the closet for a long time. But within all of that, the getting the sense for what that is and how important it is while we walk on the face of the earth to actually do that will, given practice, given continuity, bring about a joy. A joy in facing what reality is. Whether it's beautiful and extraordinary and sublime as it can manifest, or whether it's gross and painful and hurtful, but the sense of working directly without having anything else, but just the life 
itself that will touch deeply, that has to touch deeply. And that's why when you see and you meet people who you, 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 you sense, who you know have, have gone into life, not avoided it, and who deal with life and the realities of life and the sufferings of life, extraordinary thing, almost paradoxically, is that such people generate a vitality, a, a love which is sustainable, uh, an appreciation, a gratitude, uh, a joy, a compassion, those qualities of heart and being which we appreciate truly generate from people who have that focus on life's realities. Who focus on it with their being. Focus on it not in the way of divisiveness of at attack and defend, but holistically, therefore, love and awareness for all, regardless. <coughs> so, I would say there's an integral relationship between what is happening here and what is happening in the world outside. That there is no difference between the two. And so our practice is an opportunity, a time and an opportunity for, us, opportunity for us in a way to get our values straight. And when we straighten our mind, our values will straighten with our mind. And some of the values which we have had, which have been felt unnecessary, will drop away. And those things more deeply inside of ourselves, which we have a value for, that value will be an influencing factor in our feelings, in our thoughts, in our speech, in our action, in our, in our whole being. So let's in our days that we are here together regard this, this work and the work which is important and especially important at this critical juncture in life, I would say. People speak of the crisis which will come. I don't believe that. I say the crisis is already here on this earth. And that in, that, in this giving of our time and our care and attention to this work, never regard it as being isolationist in any way but part of the total contribution that you and I can make towards peacemaking, towards holistic seeing, towards awareness, compassion, and the action which must flow out of that awareness. And if that is there for us, and taking place in our life, and taking place in the life of others, then there is hope then we can speak of hope. Because we're neither withdrawn and passive, neither are we resentful and attacking. We are looking in another way. And meditation is all about discovering that other way of living and being.
May all beings see into life. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings live with compassion. May all beings 